Hello, welcome back to the Missing Bee here on First Time Film. Sorry that we didn't have an episode out last week. Personal life getting in the way, as it always does, but we're back with the third instalment in this series looking at Brokeback Mountain and Monosexual Privilege, and we're going to show, like I've said in the previous episodes, how I believe this text, this time period, marks a turning point uh, for the representation of the male bisexual on screen, but we're starting off with uh, B. Ruby Rich, who in her book, New Queer Cinema, argues that occasionally a film comes along that alters our perception so thoroughly that cinema history therefore has to arrange itself around it. Now, Rich's sentence succinctly articulates this study's justification for marking the early 2000s and Brokeback Mountain specifically as somewhat of a turning point in the narrative surrounding bisexual representation that has been presented in the previous two chapters. Now, while this previous chapter focused on the ways in which the male bisexual had been both misrepresented and mostly absent from mainstream American cinema before the dawn of the new millennium, it's also recognised that this was the case across the spectrum of LGBTQ plus representation, right? But conversely, the early 2000s saw a sharp rise in the protection and rights given to LGBTQ plus individuals under US state and federal law. Now, starting in 2000 with Vermont becoming the first US state to legalise same-sex civil partnerships, momentum continued in the landmark 2003 Supreme Court case Lawrence versus Texas, which deemed homophobic legislation unconstitutional and was subsequently hailed as a story of shifting societal attitudes towards homosexuality by tribe in 2004. Now, this was followed by the same, the first same-sex marriage taking place in Massachusetts in 2004, a truly historic moment in the progression of LGBTQ plus rights. As is aptly demonstrated by the continuous developments around this time, the 2000s marks a clear turning point in societal positioning of LGBTQ plus individuals and thus provides a ripe time period uh, of study for this particular chapter. However, the reason that Brokeback Mountain specifically serves as the central case study of this investigation is because it marks the beginning of the erasure of male bisexuality from the story of LGBTQ plus representation in American cinema. Now, there's a difference there. We're talking about the erasure as a whole of cinema, which LGBTQ plus people were a part of, but now were shoved out of those queer cinema spaces as well, beginning with Brokeback Mountain. The prominence of Brokeback Mountain at the worldwide box office and its visibility during award season was vital in the progress of representation of LGBTQ plus characters in mainstream cinema, with Natalie Finn reflecting in her article analysing the effects of the film 10 years on from its release, that when you look back at what Brokeback Mountain truly set out to do, there's no doubt it succeeded in her opinion. Having said this, Ang Lee's romantic drama also marks the beginning of a trend that would continue to be prevalent in mainstream queer representations to the present day, as will be explored in our final episode next time. Brokeback Mountain marks the first and most prominent example of bisexuality being explicitly prevalent within a mainstream American film, but subsequently being erased from the discourse and analysis surrounding the film in the aftermath. Now, to prove this, the following uh, episode will firstly provide a detailed textual analysis of Brokeback Mountain in order to clearly identify examples of male bisexuality within the text. Before going on, to show that the criticism surrounding the film simplified the sexuality of its two leads in order for contemporary critics 
to place the violation of normative standards into a discursive space comfortable to mainstream audiences. And that quote is from Cooper and Pease. I just absolutely love that quote. I thought it fits so well. Now, the film, as you know, follows Ennis Del Mar, played by Heath Ledger, and Jack Twist, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Over the course of 20 years, after they develop a sexual relationship during a summer herding sheep in the mountains of Wyoming in the early 1960s. The stark differences between the two characters are established in the film's earliest scenes, with Jack introducing himself by his full name and divulging much about his family life straight away, specifically his relationship with his father. By contrast, Ennis only introduces himself by his first name and is much more reserved in divulging information about his personal life. However, it is revealed early on that Ennis plans on marrying his betrothed, Alma, portrayed by Michelle Williams after his stint on The Mountains is Up. At this stage, Alma's presence does not feature heavily in the narrative as a familiar opposites attract story plays out between the men in the film's first act. Now, the dichotomy between Ennis and Jack is further established with the classification of further differences between the two. Jack is the much better rider, while Ennis is much better at shooting than his companion. In short, the two make a, an excellent team in this first act. At this stage, a mutual sexual longing is established between the two. As Jack looks up at the camp where Ennis is based, Ennis looks longingly up to the hills where Jack sleeps with his sheep. This pining continues as Ennis washes naked in the lake. The camera has a close-up in Jack's face as he carves a piece of wood, with Gyllenhaal portraying Jack's intense desire to turn around and look, and also his fear and repression of his same-sex attraction towards his colleague at this point. The personal relationship is deepened when Ennis reveals his family history to Jack, which by his own admission, he has not spoken to anyone about in years. However, their explicit sexual relationship is established later that night. As Ennis is freezing outside the tent, Jack invites Ennis inside. After Ennis initially resists Jack advances, the two engage in intercourse, uniting the two as sexual partners at this point in the text. Now, the importance of analysing this section of the film in detail can't be overstated. The first act of Brokeback Mountain is true to the exclusively gay label the exclusively homosexual label that many of the reviews that will be discussed later in this chapter will give to the entire film. A romance is given time to develop between two young men, with the film clearly framing this as the central relationship. That is beyond reproach. Now, whilst Ennis is betrothed, uh, is mentioned, Alma is mentioned, it is brief and untroubling to the relationship between Delmar and Twist at this point. In other words, the first act fulfills the monosexual expectations of those expecting to see the quote-unquote gay cowboy movie, with the relationship between Ennis and Jack allowing to grow unchallenged by societal prejudice or competing parties. However, this all changes the next morning. The two discuss their sexual intercourse, describing it as a one-shot thing, before each goes on to assure the other that they are not quote-unquote queer. Whilst this could be read as the two continuing to attempt their repressed feelings for each other, it also serves, possibly, as the first acknowledgement of Ennis and Jack's bisexuality. The word queer, while it has a much broader meaning in its contemporary usage, was traditionally weaponized and used as a slur against those who engaged in homosexual acts. However, a denial of any and all same-sex attraction would be ludicrous on the part of Jack and Ennis at this point, considering the scene sets nestled between their first sexual encounter and a second, more intimate one following this conversation. Yet Ledger particularly delivers Ennis' assertion of this fact pretty emphatically, 
suggesting that he is being completely serious and believes what he says. Thusly, it would be more prudent to view this line as not a denial or repression of Ennis and Jack's same-sex desire, but a mutual acknowledgement that their sexual orientation is more complicated than being exclusively attracted to men. This is further evidenced when analysing the early relationships that both men have with their wives, Alma and Lorene. Alma is the woman who earlier Ennis tells Jack he's betrothed to marry, and indeed he then does so not long after the job at Brokeback is done. Whilst the film does depict the breakdown and deterioration of this relationship as time passes due to Ennis's infidelity, this essay is not focused in evaluating the marriage or love shared between Ennis and Alma. Ennis and Jack Twist are clearly the love of each other's lives, and this study acknowledges that the central tragedy of the feature is that they are not openly able to express this love and are thus forced to live their lives apart before Jack's heartbreaking death. What this analysis is concerned with is establishing the position of bisexuality within the text, which means finding evidence of both characters being sexually attracted to both genders. So it's the idea of sex rather than love that we're dealing with. As such, the scene in which Ennis and Alma discuss their living situation in bed with one another provides this evidence as far as the Del Mar household is concerned. The couple are lying next to one another, with Alma telling her husband that she wishes to move into town because she is tired of these small ranches. Ennis responds that they can't afford it. But the argument is neither loud, aggressive or hate-filled. Instead, this is an intimate scene between two lovers, with Ennis lovingly caressing Alma as they have their discussion. Whilst the physical aspects of this scene are of course important, Ennis's sexual attraction to Alba is made noticeably clear by Keith Ledger's open body language and gentle touch. Of great importance is one specific line of Alma's dialogue. When trying to make the case for moving, she tells Ennis that she fears their children will be lonely and says that he surely doesn't want them to grow up being lonely as he knows how that feels. This is followed by the two engaging in sexual intercourse. Now, this scene mirrors precisely the first sexual encounter between Jack and Ennis. First, emotional intimacy is established between the characters through the sharing of Ennis's childhood. In this case, it is implied that he previously bestowed this information to Alma, followed by a scene of sexual intercourse. Now, the mirroring of Jack and Ennis's first sexual encounter in this scene is of paramount importance as... For this moment in the film, at least, it establishes that the relationship between Alma and her husband as being at least equally important to the relationship Ennis shared with Jack Twist sexually. Despite this, critics like Ralph uh, Rugton have typically dismissed the Delmar marriage, arguing that it has failed largely due to want of either enough money or enough passion. While this, of course, becomes true as the relationship progresses in the film, Ignoring the explicit, intimate and sexual contents of this scene specifically would do a disservice to the relationship that's actually being presented to audiences at this point. That of a young couple being very much in sexual passion. To acknowledge then that the significance of Jack and Ennis's first sexual encounter, but then to ignore the mirrored scene between the Del Mars, sets up a double standard that will be explored in more depth in the later stages of this episode, namely that the discourse surrounding Brokeback Mountain sets out to ignore or dismiss the importance of the relationships Jack and Ennis have with the opposite sex in this film. For now, the moment of intimacy between Alma and her husband is the first clear example of the presence of male bisexuality within the film. Now, similar mirroring of the first encounter between the two leads occurs in this initial sexual encounter between Jack Twist and his future life, Lorene Anne Halfway. 
Firstling eyes on her at a bar, Jack is clearly attracted to Lorene, his eyes following her as she passes by her future husband. Lorene too is established as being attracted to Jack, watching him from the crowd as he wins the bull riding competition later that night at the rodeo. Now Jack asks the bartender about Lorene who divulges information about her family life and name. Following this, Lorene approaches Jack as he is staring at her, asking him if he is waiting for a mating call, following which the two engage in a slow dance. The positioning of the reveal of Lorene's family background, followed by the intimacy of the couple's first dance, is of no coincidence. Once again, a moment of emotional intimacy combined with the divulgence of private information is what initially emotionally binds the two lovers together, just like with Jack and Ennis in the Del Mar couple. This moment is then immediately followed by a scene of sexual intercourse. During their encounter, Lorene questions the one-night stand, asking Jack whether it would be better if they put the brakes on. With a smile on his face, Jack replies that fast or slow, he just likes the direction that Lorene is going, once again providing a clear establishment of his attraction to the opposite sex. Before analysing these three primary relationships further, it's important to know that Ennis does pursue a relationship with Cassie Cartwright later in the film, played by Linda Cartellini. Whilst there is evidence that the relationship is also significant to Ennis, not only does he introduce Cassie to his daughter, but he also mentions her favourably to Jack, there is not enough explicit evidence of intimate sexual attraction on his part to warrant further discussions of that relationship in this chapter. However, from the three relationships that have already been explored, a clear pattern emerges between these sexual encounters. Emotional intimacy is first established by the sharing of a personal experience, followed by intense sexual partnerships. While the initial utilisation of this formula with Jack and Ennis is afforded the most time on screen to develop, their respective initial sexual encounters with their wives both mirror this moment in order to portray their own unique importance to those involved. Therefore, whilst Ennis and Jack would in the end turn out to be the true loves of each other's lives, again beyond reproach, all three of these relationships start from a place of initial intense sexual attraction and deep emotional connection. Simply, the presence of male bisexuality is clearly here in Ang Lee's drama, presenting the audiences with three central sexual relationships that provide the characters with both sexual gratification and emotional intimacy in the early stages. However, the discourse surrounding the film upon its release made little to no reference to bisexuality, simplifying and condensing the film's complex web of legitimate sexual relationships incapable of, as Cooper and Pease put it, describing queer experience outside of the hetero-homosexual binary. Whilst a small group of reviewers like the Daily Page's Kent Williams did recognise that Jack and Ennis were in fact bisexual, a term he defines as that can refer to any number of loving arrangements, I don't think he fully understands it, most reviewers did not try to scratch beneath the surface of the relationship between the central star-crossed coupling. Moreover, while Rich's assessment, the response to Brokeback Mountain can be grouped according to the political position occupied by each column in this, there's a general consistency that can be found running through the vast majority of mainstream media reviews, regardless of whether they are left or right reading, leaning, which would obviously affect their positioning. In their study, Framing Brokeback Mountain, Brenda Cooper and Edward C.P.'s looked at 113 reviews of Ang Lee's film in order to find some consensus among them. In the conclusion of their study, Cooper and Pease critique the movie for being so universal while paradoxically positioning queers into peculiar 
heteronormative spaces. And this sense of the film adopting heteronormative qualities is mirrored in its reviews, particularly when it comes to the issue of imposing monosexual expectations onto the relationship between Ennis and Jack. For example, Roger Ebert, in contrast to Cooper and Pease, praises the fact that the film's tragedy is universal in the opening of his review, going on to attest that the fact that Jack is inescapably gay. Whilst Ebert's review is one of the few examples that avoids generalising the film, even he cannot avoid the pitfall of labelling Jack as a homosexual, despite the evidence within the film text that clearly suggests otherwise. Similarly, other positive and largely insightful reviews of the film can't help but fall into a trap of mistaking Jack's attempts to defy social expectations and be with Ennis as a signal for him being the more honest of the two leads, with Stephen Holden of the New York Times writing that Jack was the most self-aware and self-accepting of the couple. The wording of these reviews is of particular importance to the framing of male bisexuality as it stands within the area of mainstream media discourse by looking at examples of reviewers who are not actively against the subject matter the film depicts. A pattern emerges within them which wrongly correlates identifying Jack and Ennis as exclusively homosexual with being more accepting of the film's material, which of course proves problematic as this goes on to inadvertently set an industry-wide precedent. As Cooper and Pease put it, the discourse of the film reviews reveal the normative limits of cinema at specific times in history, limits that are further exposed when critics are confronted with a film that is different, that doesn't fit neatly into the customary frames of reference. In these cases, a film may violate normative stylistic standards to such a degree that critics struggle to position the film within some familiar discursive space. Thus, if critics such as Ebert and Holden are unable to place Brokeback Mountain into a familiar discursive space without erasing the presence of male bisexuality within the film, however inadvertently, a new power dynamic is inevitably created, which places the homosexual experience in cinema above that of the bisexual narrative. The depiction of sexuality within the film also received criticism from LGBTQ plus community such as uh, filmmaker John Scagliotti who criticised the film for being not the gay epic it's cracked up to be because of the fact that the cowboys are straight and there is no helping it, even though they do all these nasty gay sex things right in front of the cameras. Conversely, Alex Evans praises the film's very straight kind of authenticity, arguing that it concedes in depicting two gay men who are not quote-unquote glitzy stereotypes, as we explored in the previous chapter. However, despite Evans' acknowledgement of the nuances of Brokeback Mountain, he's still unable to label it as bisexual. Instead, branding it as a different kind of exclusively homosexual representation, thus the discourse surrounding Anne film marks a change for the way male bisexuality is handled in cinema, now no longer grouped within the larger LGBTQ plus community, but rejected by monosexual discourse at large. It's almost like they're trying, they think it's easier to sell the homosexual experience than it is the bisexual experience. And that, that's the problem that we see here, beginning with Brokeback Mountain. In conclusion, Brokeback Mountain serves as the beginning of a trend here in mainstream American cinema, which actively seeks to unroot bisexuality from texts within which it has a place. It's clearly present. While my analysis has demonstrated the clear presence of bisexuality in Brokeback Mountain, the media's insistence on labelling it is a love story within two, between two gay men, and in some cases aggressively shooting down any challenges to the sexuality of the two leads. 
has led to a standard being set in the way in which mainstream cinema has portrayed bisexual characters, with the rejection of bisexuality itself permeating from discourse around the film. And as we're going to see from Back Mountain, this rejection of both uh, bisexuality will permeate into the very content of texts themselves. And next time we will have a wee look, a wee closer look at films like Call Me By Your Name and Bohemian Rhapsody in order to go into this a bit further. But thank you for your time today. Check out all the other content we have at First Time Films and I will see you next week.